You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Make though, make though, see some more, see him neighbor, Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one movie at a time. This time around, we're finishing our look at the original live-action trilogy, Chinese Ghost Story, with a Chinese Ghost Story 3. With me is Thrasher. Let us seal her away with the power of my palm. And Alex. Not only am I a tree monster, I'm also a customer. <laughs> so this came out like a year after the second one, and... In some ways, I thought it felt more like the first, but also it seemed more unnecessary. Do you have, you guys have any other initial impressions? What's well, so it's so peculiar because like it it opens with the scene from the first film where where the tax collector and the and the 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 warrior monk guy are fighting the tree demon, and they add new dialogue, which is completely <laughs> unnecessary, saying that well we can't kill the tree demon we could only seal her away for a hundred years her evil will return and so i guess this movie is just a hundred years later the the villain from the first movie is back and up to her old tricks and the story beats are pretty much the same story beats as from the first film it's funny because it's got each film has a recap and each film's pretty much independent of the other films so it's like almost like a pointless recap. This is like the most significant one for the hundred years reference, and that's really about it. What's well, so strange because something I kept waiting for is since you know reincarnation is such a big part of the first film, and since this is a hundred years later, I kept waiting for it to be established that some of these characters were reincarnations of the characters from the previous film. That doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, and it could so easy, easily just be like a scroll or something like that, you know, like, oh, I'm actually a tax collector, reincarnated as a monk, played by a different actor. <laughs> and you do have, is it meant to be the, some of the same locations as the first one? Because it certainly looks that way. Like, I don't it's know like if it's you... the same sets, but it's like, it's definitely the same, supposed to be the same temple. Yeah, it's yeah the same temple and uh, so, also yeah. the... So, it... Yeah, I don't know, you know, and even though it says 100 years later, it feels like it's the same time period still. You still have the medieval stuff going on. Uh, I don't recall characters using guns or anything or any big technological thing to make it feel that much different. Yeah, I think the only difference is that the um, the marketplace feels more crowded, which they reference yeah. a few times. But I also definitely felt like that was almost like um, like a reference to like Wuxia films, because it's like everyone's a swordsman, you know, and like... <laughs> Jackie Chung's like a dime a dozen, you know. Um, I definitely felt like, because at this point, Ching Si Tung and Troy Hark had made so many, you know, Flying Swordsman movies. And that, like, by 1991, when this came out, like, there, we were starting to get, like, Stephen Chow and almost, like, parodies of Wuxia films. And, like, once the parodies come out, that's how you know something's kind of had its run. So I, I definitely felt like that was a reference. But, yeah, I didn't feel like there was a big shift in time or there was, like, a significant change or anything like that. Right. I mean, what is different from the original is in, in this film, the, the main character, 
uh, the the monk Shifeng, it is you know like a monk in training, and then his uh, joining him instead is not at this point at least is not a swordsman, but you have um, his uh, his master uh, played by Lao Shun, and who is has like the, the typical kind of like wispy long old man mentor kind of Chinese beard thing going on and the beard and huge mustache thing and it looks fake as it does in all these other ones and uh you know the dynamic is slightly different but not not so different and i think you're right thrasher like some had there been some kind of reincarnation thing that could have made the story more interesting and instead it just feels like and this happens a lot in uh sequels to, to chinese films um but also like elsewhere in the world you take a name and just stamp it on something and then, like, the movie has very little to do. I mean, in this case, it has more to do than something, like, totally random. But it it's, it just feels sort of disappointing. Like, it's kind of spinning its wheels again. Like, oh, we'll give them more of what they want. And the music will sound kind of the same. And it'll have a song over the opening credits that sounds kind of similar. We'll keep, yeah, they keep they keep using the Doe song as a leitmotif throughout the film. Right. It's, it is so strange because yeah, it it is so close to the original Chinese ghost story. You might as well just re-release the original Chinese ghost story, and yet they do. There are more things in this movie that are that are more outright comedic. So they double down on the comedy and they double down on the action, and so the the percentage of new stuff that's in this movie is like the new stuff is really good. Yeah, and also I think um, making the main foils, um, you have the elder monk and then the um, the main character monk played by uh, Tony Leung replacing Leslie Chung, um, which is a pretty good move if you're going to replace Leslie Chung, which is too bad because Leslie Chung is great. Anyhow, um, but yeah, having them be monks sets up a lot of good... Um, sets up a lot of good comedic material because you know it's like you know they can't he can't like be romantic with uh with joey wong he has to you know like sutras and stuff so it sets up a lot of um a lot of opportunities for comedic beats yeah i mean yep. it even goes as so far as repeating the beat of when they're in town you know there's the police running through always trying to arrest somebody oh yeah <laughs> Well, like all the town scenes might as well have just been like the only the only thing different in the town scenes here. So you it you you come to find out and it's it's weird. This is almost an anti MacGuffin because it turns out like we, we don't know why the monks are traveling. They're just traveling. But we find out they've been entrusted with this magic golden Buddha statue, which uh, kind of gets it gets knocked around a bit in the haunted temple. But it it breaks and so the young monk brings it to town to a blacksmith. He's like, well, can you can you fix it? And the blacksmith, yeah, 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 I'll fix it. And then he, like, throws it in a bucket and, goes, and, like, you know, steals his, well, what do you mean, golden Buddha statue? I don't see a golden Buddha statue. And gets the whole town against him. The, the stuff with the golden Buddha statue, I thought, was just kind of, like, delightful. And it does keep coming back. And especially, like, in the climax where, it, you know, at one point, the Buddha statue, like, well, we'll just melt it down and we'll we'll sell the gold. And it's just, like, this lump with Buddha's face on it at the end of the movie where it liquefies <laughs> and covers the young monk and, like, gives him superpowers. Yeah, that was a cool visual. And um, I also love, because that's when um, the young monk and Jackie Chung, the swordsman, team up. And then after a while, he's like, he's like, you want to grab a bite to eat? And he's like, no, I can't, like, owe you any money. He's like, I'll start a tab for you. I thought that was a good line, too. Well, I love Swords of Indian. I love that that unlike the the uh, 
the original swordsman or the geomancer from the second film, he is completely mercenary. Everything oh, yeah. he does is for money. He's like, well, what do you mean 15? The price is 10. Yeah, but I'm better now. So I'm worth 15, <laughs> so you're going to pay me 15. And, and, and really, the closest thing we get to a real connection to the, to the first film is at one point, Swordsman Yin does mention that, oh, yeah, well, my, my master was this, this old hermit who was tired of dealing with people. I guess implying that his master is the swordsman from the first movie. Yeah, that would be the best bet for sure. Even that, I think, feels a little cheap. I don't know if that's totally necessary if you're going to go 100 years later. Right, yeah. Kind of like a cute reference. Why Why even bother? Um, and yet you do, uh, I do like the scene early on in the film with the bandits, where it's almost like in um, the Odyssey with the soldiers being tempted by the sirens. Oh, you have totally. all, all the female ghosts, and uh, they're even in, in in the water, but then it turns out some of them are just bald and speak with this weird, like, wobbly voice, and they're called ugly. But still, you know, there's a few cute ones in there, so the, the, the bandits keep on going into the water to try and get them before they're kind of attacked with uh, the tree demon and the ton and everything. But I thought that was a amusing sort of sequence. Well, this... Okay, so the most erotically charged thing we have seen in this entire trilogy is, is around this scene because of course they're the bandits are, are they see lights in one of the temples and they're spying on the occupants and that's when we're introduced to Lotus played by Joey Wong and uh, Butterfly Nina Li Chi and how 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 are they introduced they're they are reclining naked sharing an opium pipe in just a, an overflow of, of phallic imagery uh, and and Lotus keeps like moaning and gasping and it isn't until very late into the scene that you realize why she's moaning and gasping is that Butterfly is giving her a tattoo in that old-fashioned style on her back. Well, and then the tattoo bleeds and the one licks the blood off the tattoo. I think, yeah, it has... Some eroticism there. You do some of the in this opening sequence. It's um, again like in the other movies. You you always have kind of like, oh, the the woman's naked, but you don't see anything, and kind of this, this teasing. Uh, well, it's just so much more sexual than anything we've seen in this series so far, oh, and sure, they yeah. keep following through on this. Right. I guess you know not unlike the sexual content in uh, Smokey and the Bandit Part Three. It's so damn and Gamora. <laughs> And, I and think. Uh, go on. Oh, um, yeah, and that's definitely a good way to open. And we definitely get like a pretty good body count off of that. Like, um, I'm glad that you pointed out like Odyssey like opening with um the you know the extending tongues and the everyone in, the dying in the pool and stuff. Uh, that was a good like way to kick things off, kick off the action. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's. it's it really establishes the stakes. You know, if the, the tree demon can dispatch an entire pot party of bandits, what hope, right. what hope does a young monk have? You know? and, and even though it's, you know, a practical effect with the ton and looks a little silly, I would argue it's more convincing than what you would see, like in the first X-Men movie with Toad licking things and jumping <laughs> around or something, uh, you know, charming with the effects here. And I, I think I would say the special effects in this one are the best one yet where, um, they're having explosions and so forth in the forest. I think it's uh, pretty interesting how, you know, I think visually it, it looks good, but it's also less eh, monster-focused than the second one was. 
yeah, there, there are no arbitrary monsters in this one. They pretty much just keep it confined to the tree demon uh, mm-hmm. and her servants, and then at the end, the uh, that evil mountain god. Do you wish it would have been something different than the tree demon, or do you like that connective tissue with the same actor? I mean, I it, it was nice. I guess it's a good performance. I was happy to I was happy to see it again. I don't know. I just wish I just wish the villain had something more to do. I think this is why I want I want reincarnation to be a factor here because it is just the tree demon doing everything the tree demon did in the first film. If it's a hundred years later, why not have it be the tree demon specifically targeting the people who are the reincarnations of the people who defeated her the first time? Mm-hmm. You know, make make it personal. You always have to do the sequel where this time it's personal, and this movie is not it. Mm, yeah, like um, yeah, and then also it folds into the, like the the Wuxia genre of like you know generational punishment. You know what I mean? Like you know, not just mm. seeking revenge, but like you know, your children's children will get you know get their comeuppance or what have you. Um, and also, I feel like there's a little less magic stuff going on. Right. Um, the last two of them, you know, Wu Ma and the other sort, and Jackie Chung in the previous one, you have a lot of like weird sutras and chanting and like, you know, palm power and stuff. And there's some of that in this with the um, old monks like beads and stuff, which I thought was cool, but um, a lot less of the explodey hand palm power stuff, which was kind of a letdown, but still. It was now, cool. Something I do like, though, is that Lotus is very, very active in this film. Oh, totally, yeah. Like, Susan was kind of a, uh, she was a, a beautiful but passive presence in the first movie. But, like, L- Lotus is constantly getting into trouble. Like, I, I love that Lotus is, like, really dives in trying to seduce the monk. But then uh-huh. when she starts to have feelings for the monk, she doesn't hold back at all. I, I, I love how active she is in this. Well, and it's, 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 that is a fun dynamic with the, the monk. You know, he can't be. I guess too close to a woman or he'll be tempted and, and lose all, all right to monkhood. And <laughs> she's like, Oh, I'm on fire. I have to take off my clothes to not burn alive. And it's oh, God, all, very... all the excuses to take yes. off clothes. And also that, that she's always wearing these multi-layered outfits designed to come off dramatically. <laughs> I also, right. Um... I'm, I'm reminded of an awful nineties game show. I used to watch when I was in high school. Sadly, it was on at two in the morning. It was a strip poker show on syndicated television <laughs> But did you ever see this, Thrasher? No. <laughs> okay, it might have been on USA or something at two in the it, morning. But like, it sounds like night it, games. It, it, Richard Bay, though. Pretty much. I mean, the characters would wear like thirty different layers, and like any time it got kind of close to showing a bra, like they would arbitrarily add another layer on. It was like the most. It was like a strip poker show done by Quakers or something. It was very, very <laughs> bizarre. But um, it was just vaguely reminded of that of all, of all the different layers. And yet you have scenes where she's supposed to be naked, but the framing is, I think, artfully done, and it it, it works with, you know, she's teasing the audience as well as uh, the main character. And and yeah, I think that the energy not just with Joey Lawn as Lotus, but also Nina Lichi as Butterfly. There's a bit of the scheming, kind of raise the red lantern, kind of bickering going on between them, uh, which is nice. They they seem to have fun playing more overt uh, villains. In a way. Well, what I think my favorite bit of outright comedy in this movie is when uh, is is when Lotus gets bitten by the snake, 
And I think that, I think I I don't remember <laughs> if this is before or after the monk has figured out she's a ghost, but she's been bitten by the snake and does need someone to suck the venom out. And there's <laughs> just this great back and forth. And I can't I can't have that kind of contact with a woman. Well, then don't, then you know pretend you know then don't pretend I'm a woman. Pretend I'm your master. Oh no no no, we would never do that. And think like, oh okay, well, then pretend <laughs> I'm your mother. Oh no no, I never knew my mother. I was an orphan. I was raised by I was raised in the monastery. And they keep like listing all these people. Okay, well why don't you pretend I'm him? And she points to this ogre statue. As like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then he sucks the <laughs> There's um, another one, too, is that... Um, also, I like that they kind of do a flip on the... Because, like, in the first two movies, whenever um, Leslie Chung was breathing, she'd have to hide him. In this one, she's... When a spirit dies, you know, that's when she starts breathing heavily and it gets cold. So, uh, yeah, this one, you have the man trying to shield the female ghost from the master, which I thought was interesting. But I think one of the best also comedic bits is that when she gets speared when lotus gets speared to the wall with the spear you know and with the staff he takes it down and then he tries to carry her and she's like oh no it's that staff that's like you know hurting me so it cuts to him carrying her and he has the staff dragging behind him on like a leash as he's running to oh, yeah. back to the temple i thought that was hilarious and and the running gag of like um chiffon always has to pray a lot and then that makes the ghost you know go away and act injured and it, it there's there's some nice comedy there but at the same time overall this this movie to me just feels so unnecessary it's a fun little trifle but it, i think it's they just, just frustrating a trilogy, yeah you have to have the trilogy so you can have the box set man totally <laughs> so just how there was a second death star in this one we've got a second tree demon exactly yeah yeah, yeah. How did you guys feel about um, Tony Long as a replacement for Leslie uh, Chung? I think I think he did all right. I mean, it, it is a it is a different character, even though he is very hapless. It is a different character. Like like in the case of like the original tax collector, you know, he he's a man of the world. He's just kind of like spineless and fidgety. But you really do get the sense that the young monk, the only reason he's the way he is is because he has just lived a very sheltered life, having been raised in a monastery. Yeah, he's yeah, not you know. He's good here. I, I like the character has some more nobility and kind of chaste uh, sort of patience with, with things. It is different. And that the actor is younger, I, th I think, helps to uh, help you swallow that he's just so, um, so sheltered, following around his master at, at his beck and call. Yeah, it's funny. Um, there's always a lot of confusion. Like the, this Tony Long is known as Tiny Tony because there's another Tony Long Kai-Fi who was Big D in the election film. So mm. that's another Tony Long. So this is Loney, uh, no, Loney Tongue. <laughs> Tony <laughs> Long Chubai, whereas um, Tony Long Kai-Fi is Big Tony, who is Big D in the election movie. So you always have to make the, the, the Big Tony, Tiny Tony uh, distinction. He's a good, um, he's good in this, and he has a very interesting and striking look, and he's a, he's a really good actor. Um, it's funny, though, because I'm used to him playing kind of a dick, and um, like in Wong Kar Wai's uh, Happy Together, and he's actually uh, much more um, oafish in this, which I like. He does oaf, oaf acting quite well, I think, in this. But hey, as long as uh, as long as we're on that subject, rest in peace, Tom Tiny Lister Jr. <laughs> Who is that? Oh, he played the president in the Fifth Element. He's in the Friday movies. He's in No Holds Barred. He played a Klingon on Star Trek: The Next Generation. 
And no holes barred, yeah, he was Zeus, um, right? I think so. And he was in Friday. Uh, just this really huge, amazing presence, but he could also do comedy. I would have been nice to see him do do more of it as a kind of actor when you see him. He, uh, He's in the you know, Christmas comedy uh, Santa's Sleigh. That's right. With Goldberg. I have not seen that in a long time. That's with um, Goldberg, is that right? Yeah, the wrestler, Goldberg. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but yeah, he yeah, yeah, as of this recording, he has passed away. Yeah, yep, that. yep. I, I saw that news, and uh, yeah, he did a lot of films. You know, interesting actor. Um, been good to see him do more. And I think just his when you see him, would see him walk into a scene, you know, oh, this guy's trouble, or in something else, it might be, oh, this guy's funny. He's kind of surprising, but he just has this this that's very memorable. Just a really large, uh, large guy, muscular guy. Um, right, so back to Chinese Ghost Story 3. It, it, um, you know, the way this is so loosely connected and, and yet these characters have kind of a relationship, I wonder if they ever consider doing a TV series of Chinese Ghost Story where they go from town to town or something having adventures. Right, I think there's an animated series. Well, there was an animated movie. I don't know. If... Yeah, animated oh, okay. feature... And then they did a, a sort of remake of the first one. Then there's also erotic Chinese ghost story. Yep. Is that I think there's more the than one of those. So. <laughs> Is that I, series I, or is it related? I think, I, well, I mean, it's, it's definitely the porno version. Retrograde Amnesia is a comprehensive podcast where we relive a classic Japanese RPG. Season one covers the cult classic Xenogears. In season two, we're covering Chrono Cross. Each episode, we take a section of the game and unpack the story, mechanics, music, and themes. And we have an AI companion, the fake net. It'll make sense later. Find Retrograde Amnesia wherever podcasts are found. Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO, Editor-in-Chief over there at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to the Shackcast, the official Shack News podcast of Shack News, uh, over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. It came out right around the same time, like 1990. Sure. So interesting. Yeah, they did. They would do a lot of these, like kind of category three, like very, 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 very soft core. Like you could still screen this theatrically and get away with it kind of like it's not like a porn porn but oh yeah here we go yeah there was a and there was a sequel erotic ghost story 2 uh the plot revolves around three three spirits who have attained human form they come across a hapless scholar and then they have lustful thoughts about him and this leads to erotic romps and the eventual discovery <laughs> of a dangerous demon there yeah, like, I'm, I'm reminded of when I went to Tokyo, in the in the basement of any electronic store, it would be the porn section, oh, and yeah. everything was really expensive. And one of the guys I went with us on this trip um, got this book because it had this kind of I don't know, like this anime-looking schoolgirl thing. However, he didn't read what it said on on it, which was Scatolo, and we took it home, and it was full color pictures of uh, uh, scantily clad women. Uh, shitting on each other oh, Jesus oh dear <laughs> to laugh at him and it's quite in, quite in the funny. community that's called caviar <laughs> I, oh my god I, I suppose so and but you know I, I i do but when we were going back to the states and you had to declare stuff i'm wondering like oh is this guy gonna get arrested i don't know like <laughs> like i got i got through customs okay but it's you remember home run video in savannah 
Oh, yes, yes. What about it? Oh, just that they had one of those sections, too. Oh, yes, yeah, <laughs> sure. And they usually have a curtain, right? Well, they had a door. But, yeah, I've seen other places do a curtain, and it's kind of has special lighting in there, all these different sections. It's uh, quite something. So with the yeah Chinese Coast Story 3, uh, anything else you want to say about this film? I think I think I have I have said my piece, but yeah, it is yeah. it is completely unnecessary, and yet I did find it very entertaining. I was never bored. Yeah, I Alex? think um, out of the three films, this is probably the one I've revisited the least. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I've actually seen it since I bought the set, like a you know a million years ago. Um, however, yeah, like you said, it's a bit of a trifle and pretty much unnecessary. Um, it is still a lot of fun to watch. I think out of the three, this one feels the longest. Um, yeah. I felt like it could have been a little shorter. There's there's some, you know, just kind of doinking around that you don't need. But as a whole, it's still an entertaining feature, um, if a little uh, if a little bit of a trifle, yeah. Yeah, I'll give Chinese Ghost Story 3 a sequel. No, I think it, it just feels really forced. There, there's some amusing parts here and there, but as you mentioned, the pacing, I think, uh, and I just wish it would have, stretched its wings a bit more. It, um, I would have liked this better had it not been part of the Chinese Ghost Story series, I think. I, it had some mm. unfair expectations going into it. I say right, sequel, uh, no. Uh, Alex? Um, I would say sequel, yes. Um, it's a bit slight, and, you know, you can tell they're definitely um, trying, to, trying to, you know, milk a dead cow, but um, there's still some good stuff going for it, and it's got some fun effects and some fun action scenes, and, um, you know, everyone's putting in the work, and everyone's doing, um, everyone's having a good time on screen, and it definitely translates. It's not as ambitious or elaborated on, like, it's it's not like they expanded on the original lore too much, but they had fun with it and provided an entertaining, um, entertaining narrative in doing so, so I say sequel yes. And Thrasher. I'm. I am going to give it a sequel. Yes, like as this is this is a trifle, but it's a really good trifle. Yeah. Uh, it, it is very rare. It is very rare for a sequel to have absolutely no ideas whatsoever, to be nothing but a retread, and yet to still be thoroughly entertaining from beginning to end. I would certainly hope if they did a fourth one, it would go in a different direction. But I'm giving. I am giving this a sequel. Yes, I think this is still. I think this is still worth watching. Well, there you go. Um, now we're going to do pitch a sequel. And I, I think what... God, we've done so many of these. What I would do if I was doing a sequel to Chinese Ghost Story 3 is maybe do um, kind of like a, uh, a crossover story where the characters from all three of the Chinese ghost story movies like meet each other to fight a, uh, a big resurrected worm. And the, the golden Buddha statue from the third one has been split into a few pieces over time. So they have to time travel to get all the pieces to have the golden Buddha help them fight the giant worm from the second one. Who's now, um, I think merged with the tree demon. So it's part worm, part tree demon. It would be called uh, Chinese Ghost Story. It's about time. <laughs> Not unlike the Poltergeist uh, sequel. I like the concept of a worm tree demon. Yeah, it would uh, kind of a. You'd probably do like a 
effects over time to show it looking like more and more human in the face, I think, to make it kind of gross, kind of Cronenberg again. Yeah. Uh, I also want to be Chinese Ghost Story 4, uh, The Deadly Cabinet. So this one, it's going to take place in the modern day in Hong Kong. And short the short version is that tree, the tree that the tree demon lived in, it was at some point cut down and made into a wardrobe. The wood was made into a wardrobe, and that wardrobe is cursed. Everyone who's ever owned the wardrobe has come to a bad end, but that only makes the wardrobe more collectible. So all of the characters in this sequel are all going to be reincarnations of other characters from throughout this series. And you'll be, and you'll, part of the, part of the fun of this will be figuring out who is a reincarnation of who, because the genders don't necessarily line up, their physical appearance don't necessarily line up, but they are all brought together uh, at an auction house where this cat, uh, oh no, that's what it is. Uh, The owner of the cabinet has of course died and they have all been brought to the mansion where the cabinet is for various reasons. One could be a lawyer, an executor of a state, one could be a relative, but now that they're all in one place, the cabinet fully awakens and the tree demon tries to get its revenge on the reincarnations of all the people that have wronged it. Uh, And as the story goes on, as more haunted house stuff happens uh, and they also start like pulling clothes out of the wardrobe from the past they all eventually get their memories and their powers back. So at the end of the movie, there's a whole knockdown, throwdown fight inside the ghost dimension that's inside the cabinet where they all use they all use their powers from across the series to finally defeat the tree demon once and for all. And what's the title for it? Uh, the Trans Ghost Story 4, The Deadly Cabinet. <laughs> Alex. All right. So it uh, this one, it ends with um, Jackie Chung uh, chasing down Tony along the two monks because I'm assuming he wants to have, uh, you know, sex with the ghost in the urn. Like um, you do. What's that? Like you do. Exactly. Yeah, just another day at work. Um, so it's, we're going to pick up from there. And um, the, the more Tony, uh, the, the more the two monks run, the faster Jackie Chung pursues him. And they begin to realize that he's actually, you know, kind of creepy and is like ruthlessly, you know, chasing him down. So they, uh, they, they, they take off, and then all, along the way, um, Swordsman Yin um, befriends a, um, a traveling uh, minister of a, a, a Christian minister who is, uh, you know, trying to convert people and what have you. And then what happens is that you know the Swordsman Yin possesses just a little bit of magic. So with the help of a uh, traveling minister, he resurrects um, Saint Peter. And he's also possessed with some fighting skills. So um, a Kung Fu endowed St. Peter dukes it out with the two monks. And through their battles, um, they learn the magic of Christmas. And it's called a uh, Chinese Christmas ghost story. Very good. Pretty inspired. Um, <laughs> now going on to what you're watching. Uh, I, as I, you sort of guessed what the sort of audio problems I was having, I was testing out sentences. I watched for the first time. A cyberpunk film with Keanu Reeves, not The Matrix, it's Johnny Mnemonic. Not Manumanic. Nope. <laughs> I've been calling it that for years, and no, I'm just kidding. Not, not Johnny Menomina, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, pretty difficult to pronounce title, I think. It, uh, You know, I thought it was fun, and then I was reading that there was originally a cut that was more transgressive and harsher, and that got recut by the studio pretty quickly although the japanese cut features 10 more minutes and has a different score um and, and also uh, you know more 
beat Takashi in it too. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was pleased to see beat Takashi and uh, a bit surprised to see him speaking some English in this, but it, mm-hmm. um, he does all right. Uh, uh, it has you know Dina Meyer, who I recognized from Starship Troopers and some of the later Saw movies. Uh, oddly enough, I guess it's not that strange considering when this was released, but the poster stresses Dolph Lundgren, who is has this really odd like bad guy preacher character who's not terribly effective but as far as this like pretty lean cyberpunk movie i think it's it's sort of fun and uh keanu reeves is okay uh udo Kier is very good it's uh although it's killed pretty early and, and i thought it was not bad i was expecting something much worse that's interesting that's a movie i've been meaning to revisit i remember seeing like parts of it when it came out and i was like didn't that come out along the same time as like Virtuosity, where we had these like kind of strange American like pseudo cyberpunk movies going on? Yeah, I think you know you had Virtuosity, Johnny Mnemonic, <laughs> and then after the Matrix, you had things like Existence and the Thirteenth. Oh Four. yeah, uh, and this whole kind of wave of kind of loose cyberpunk thing. Also, you know, Lawnmower Man uh, oh, was, yeah. was another big early cyberpunk thing. In uh, this one, when he does the cyber, the kind of the internet sequences, it's kind of nuts because he uh, it's done with the metaphor like you're looking in different books so you see Keanu Reeves with all the VR gear and he's like moving fake books around opening pages flipping through things and then it shows like what the the cyber internet looks like which is about what you would expect for the mid 90s but it's, it's streaming on Amazon Prime currently is how I saw it so I think, I think might you might have this might be where we get that gag from community to calibrate your virtual reality system. Look at the <laughs> palms of your hands, then look at the backs of your hands, then look yeah. at the palms of your hands, then look around in a state of wonder. <laughs> right. Um, do you have any thoughts on Johnny Mnemonic, Thrasher? No, just that it's it's based on a pretty harsh novel, so it could have been harsher. You know, not enough heroin addicted dolphins in the movie. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There is a dolphin. That's that's true. And uh, but he's they, not addicted to heroin. In the novel, he's addicted to heroin. Yeah. Did they train uh, him to kill I, the president unwittingly? No, but it it plays in the climax of the film. Um, Ice T, I, I thought it's pretty interesting as as kind of a leader of the what do they call it? The Lows or something like the the, the common populace. Um, and Keanu Reeves has a memorable scene where he's standing in a junkyard screaming, I want a $10,000 hooker. I want my shirts pressed in Tokyo Hotel. Like, it's just sort of an early scene of him kind of overdoing it. But, he, you know, something about this material spoke to him. What, what I found more interesting is around the same time, uh, only for computers, Sony released a, uh, a computer game called Johnny Mnemonic, the Interactive Action Movie in which they basically refilmed the movie on a lower budget with completely different actors, and then the game more or less plays like Dragon's Lair and has a lot oh, of different man. branching paths and endings, but it's all full-motion video. Um, the lead, lead picture, actor is... I, what? I, I just picture Ice-T going, Welcome to virtual reality, bitch. Uh, that's not too far off the mark. He, he has, like... <laughs> they have interesting kind of face paint on him. Um... Uh, and in the, the computer game version, the Ice-T role is played by Isaac Hayes, and one of the oh. bad guys is played by Julie Strain. So Nice. Cool. I've got heroin addicted dolphins, virtual Ice-T. This is shaping up. I like it. 
Yeah, uh, of, of course, like any cyberpunk 90s thing, you have a scene where a lot of televisions are stacked into kind of this big tower thing and they're playing different images on it. Um, Whoa. It, it, it is the, the big plot thing involves 320 gigabytes of data, but that would have been a lot of data at the time when this was released. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, we were still using floppy disks <laughs> back then. Exactly. And, you know, this was 96 minutes. Uh, yeah, no, I think you should watch it on Prime, dude. I think you'd like it. It's... It's fun. It's short. It's, um, you know, it's it's obviously they kind of round off the edges a bit, but Beat Takeshi isn't bad, and I'm a bit surprised he didn't appear in more American films and try to make a stab at that, like uh, Jackie Chan and Jet Li did. Although I mean, he's a different kind of actor, but he, he uh, you see him a lot, just not. I mean, really, I think most American audiences would have been more familiar with beat Takeshi when they did the, the dubbed kind of version of Takeshi's castle on spike TV. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Most extreme elimination challenge. Yep. That's right. Very good. Uh, Thrasher, what's something you've been watching? So I, uh, dipped, I wanted to, uh, dip into some classics. I rewatched, uh, the Jerry Lewis's 1963, the nutty professor. Nice. Oh Yeah. It is still a very entertaining, very winning film. Although the two things I noticed this time is that that I didn't notice the first time I saw it is that one, uh, his relationship with his student is thoroughly unethical. (laughs) (laughs) And it is never, I mean, yes, she, she is an adult, but professors and students should, should not date. Uh, it would be it would be one thing if like she was graduating or was going to be leaving her class so that that was out of the way, but no, like she's still in her class even after they're engaged. It's just so weird. But then the other thing is I forgot how many horror movie elements are in here. Like the first transformation when he when when Professor Kelp first takes the potion and transforms into Buddy Love, they really do misdirect you because it is right out of a horror movie. Just the 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 weird way he changes and the way it's shot and the musical stings and like just the the, the things. This is a Technicolor movie and the things they do with color, especially during that transformation, is just amazing. Well, and Jerry and Lewis with... is a real. Oh, what year you said? Oh yeah, sixty three. Um, oh, wow. And I like how Buddy Love in this is a real dick, even more so than in the Eddie Murphy uh, version. Oh, we, yeah. Uh, he, he is a completely unrepentant asshole, but like you can kind of see why people unfortunately find that kind of asshole magnetic. And, and some people say that um, Lewis is, is you know not the easiest guy to work with and that Buddy Love is closer to the actual Jerry Lewis. But it, <laughs> to depend on what day you catch him on. I kind of, on the comedians in cars getting coffee, they managed to film one with uh, Jerry Lewis right before he died. Wow. And he seemed in, in pretty good spirits. Uh, he, he was apparently trying to get a lot of remakes done of his material with younger comics, that none of it which ever came out. But um, I have to wonder if, you know, 20 years or so hence, we will see a release of uh, The Day the Clown Cried. I don't know. It's kind of the fabled movie, right? Well, I believe, as as I understand it, as stipulated in his will, it was given to the National Archives, but they, even then, they are not allowed to screen it, at least for a certain amount of time. But yeah, I really want to see that movie. 
Yeah, a lot of um, people, like I, Harry Shearer has gone on that he's seen it, but a lot of people have actually mm-hmm. called him out on it. They, they're just calling bullshit on that, apparently. Um, again, like, I don't know how he was able to, because I think he was on Howard Stern talking about it or something like that. And um, But yeah, some people called him bullshit on that. I don't know why you would make that up or why you would... You know, or call bullshit, but whatever. Um, this is, yeah, like a white whale of all the like lost movie white whales. I mean, that got a lot of press. Uh, Patton Oswald and some of his friends did live script readings of it until I've seen one of those. Uh, that is a great show. I bet. Nice. And, and until Lewis's lawyers came to shut it down. <sighs> so it, um, I hope we see it one day. And I, I think, you know, like, like other prolific artists like michael jackson or prince I, I do think there's probably a lot of jerry lewis stuff in the vaults that oh yeah um maybe we'll see re-releases of over the years um great cool uh and yeah i mean i've thought about doing nutty professor on the show i mean i guess we do that in the two eddie murphy ones um and the clumps the clump oh. yell the clumps yep Ooh, that's that's Orson Welles. Ooh, the clumps. Oh, the clumps. <laughs> everyone wanted to see more of horny grandma. That's uh, one of morsel. Um, Alex. Um, I I recently uh, watched a really awesome spaghetti western. I guess Euro western. Um, the original title is uh, I can barely pronounce it. Uh, request requestant requestant. Um also known as Kill and Pray. Um, this was a fascinating um, Western from 1967 starring uh, Mark Damon, who is in House of Usher in the Mario Bava film uh, Black Sabbath, and um, also has a starring role for controversial Italian director Pierpaolo Pasolini. He plays a um, like a rogue preacher. And, um, yeah, it was a fascinating film, extremely violent, um, and the more and more I get into, you know, more spaghetti westerns I unearth, I'm beginning to realize that while the Sergio Leone Dollars films are terrific and very influential and culturally significant, all of these other very strange uh, Italian westerns that came out afterwards by, like, Sergio Corbucci or Enzo Castellari um, are actually like, way more interesting because they, uh, like, this one's, like, very, got a lot of, like, very cryptic, macabre, like, Christian imagery and, like, weird Catholic baggage. And, like, the villain gets, like, crushed by, like, a church bell. And you get these, like, weird, like, neo-Marxist um, Catholic guilt westerns, which are so fascinating. And they get really cruel as time goes, too, the closer we get to the 70s. Like, a lot of, like, ears getting cut off and mm-hmm. people getting stabbed with graves and stuff like that. It's really wild flick. So, um, yeah, requesting or, or, or kill and pray. Uh, it's a really cool, kind of grimy um, spaghetti western from the late 60s, I would recommend. Any notable... What's that? Any notable actors in it? Um, aside from Mark Damon, Lou Castell, um, but I think the the big trivia, or the, or the, cool, the coolest feature is that it has a, an actual role from Pier Paolo Pasolini. Um, it's really interesting seeing him act. And it also features one of his frequent uh, collaborating uh, actors, whose name I forget, but was his lover. So this kid would always pop up in every Pasolini movie. So it was weird seeing him in a non-Pasolini flick. Very pretty cool. 
Um, so right, we do not have a sequel scene for this. Is that right? Yeah, I could not find any transcripts, unfortunately. The foreign film cover. Uh, speaking of which, you know, next week we're going into a new series. Uh, it's Ask Turn to Pick, and he was the Psycho series. So we'll be looking at the original, and then two, three, four, and then also looking at Psycho House, which was a backdoor pilot uh, television back the remake, but that doesn't mean we can't do it. It's kind of a one-off and uh, at a later time. So I'm going to have uh, Anthony Perkins and um, that I mean, I just can't imagine that Psycho 2 in particular having to do a sequel to Hitchcock seems quite unusual, although some Hitchcock stuff are made, right? Like Rear Window had a TV movie version. There's a lot of Rear Window knockoff movies, yeah. Like Disturbia is basically Rear Window themed. Uh, There's a Curtis Hansen movie, I think. Sorry, what'd you say? There was a lawsuit over Disturbia. Oh, I I can see that. It's too similar. Um, You can um, follow me on Twitter. M-A-T-W-B-T get the episodes of the show at sequelcast2.com Thrasher you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor and Alex Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Crab Nebula 1914 okay so uh, for Sequelcast 2 this is Matt this is Thrasher and this is Alex you need to suck the venom out Watch out where the demons go. Don't you eat that yellow statue. Oh. <laughs>